0: you're listening to feral attraction
1: hosted by matrico and vera of the science collie
0: on this week's show we open with a discussion on whether humans are built to live in the moment our main topic this week is a lifestyling furry we talk about what lifestyling is how it differs from just having an interest kink or fetish and how you can balance your professional and social lives while doing it we close out the show with a question on being involuntarily celibate. Hello again and welcome to Vero Attraction. I'm Metrico. And I'm
1: Vero the Science Collie.
0: So, Vero, you were um, you were reading the New York Times and I think you saw an opinion piece concerning the uh, like the way the doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists are treating depression and new upcoming breaking studies.
1: Yeah, there's actually a really cool op-ed. It was not published all that recently. It was actually from back in May. I haven't had any time to read the New York Times lately because I've been in Europe for like the last billion years. But um, back when I actually still read U.S. newspapers, uh, I found this really interesting article. And it was written by Martin Seligman, who is a professor of psychology at the University of Pennsylvania in collaboration with John Tierney. And uh, Seligman has a new book out with a, few, uh, a very academic kind of dry read with a few other uh, notable uh, psychology professors, I believe. And it's called Homo Prospectus. And essentially the point of this is that Homo sapiens, which is our species, is actually kind of a misnomer because that refers to humans as being thinking uh, beings. And what Seligman's kind of crux of his argument is, is that that's actually not all that distinguishing for humans, and that what we're really, truly uh, good at, and what is really, truly unique for us, is the fact that human beings are capable of thinking about the future. And so he's wanting to rename human Homo sapiens Homo prospectus. And the, the article that came out of this is really talking about why it's the case that humans aren't so good at staying focused on on the moment and why they are instead really obsessed with the future. And I think it's a really important piece because what we often talk about on the show is the importance of mindfulness, which is really focused on staying in the moment because for emotional health and kind of emotional, uh, kind of sanity, um, it's really important to not let yourself get too wrapped up in worrying about the future, but humans are really wired to do it. And so What the piece really talks about is the ways in which therapists are now exploring new ways to treat uh, disorders such as anxiety and depression that kind of take advantage of the fact that human beings are so thoroughly wired to think about the future. And contrary to what a lot of psychologists thought was the case, human beings, in fact, think spend a lot more time thinking about the future than they even do ruminating about the past. And what uh, Seligman points out in particular is that even when human beings are thinking about past events, they're generally thinking about them in context with future possibilities or things that the way that those past events might kind of come back to bite them. Right? So when you're ruminating about a past event, it's not so much because you're concerned about the past, but it's more because you're concerned about history repeating itself or because you're worried that some past event is going to damage your future prospects. And so there's kind of a whole new dimension of psychological treatment that's opening up in which depression and anxiety are being reimagined as disorders in which individuals have a bleak view of the future. And this then, in fact, is what's causing their problems. Not so much what uh, psychologists have been focusing on previously, which is that idea that past traumas are responsible for a lot of the negativity that uh, presents itself in anxiety and depression disorders. And so what Seligman argues is that depressed people are distinguished in particular from normal individuals, or I should say neurotypical individuals, by their tendency to imagine fewer positive scenarios while overestimating future risks. So let's say that you have an upcoming exam. Someone who is depressed is going to spend more time thinking about failing the exam, whereas someone who is more well-adjusted, might spend more time thinking about doing well in the exam and possible rewards that might come about from performing well. So reorienting individuals to think more about positive outcomes and to worry less about negative outcomes is a huge part of this new discipline. And it really kind of meshes well with the things that we've been talking about in terms of stoicism, mindfulness, etc. Because what those ideas talk about, and also what cognitive behavioral therapy, which is another really useful and clinically validated therapeutic modality for treating things like anxiety and depression, the idea there is we often talk about decatastrophizing and not fortune telling, right? These are two cognitive distortions that both dialectical behavioral therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy talk about. And what this new discipline is talk is really doing is magnifying the importance of avoiding that sort of catastrophizing and fortune telling. Because it turns out that fortune telling and catastrophizing are really at the core of these anxiety and depression disorders, at least from the perspective of this new sort of discipline and this new perspective on anxiety and depression. So thinking about trauma is is kind of interesting from this new perspective because what Seligman points out is that traumas do often have a lasting impact on individuals but that impact is usually positive in fact from people who experience trauma many individuals emerge from it stronger and so this kind of flies in the face of and kind of dovetails with what we talked about last week which is that there's this you know idea that trauma is really debilitating and trauma you know prevents memory formation and all these these strange sort of hypotheses that are really hard to uh to to falsify because they're really not designed to be tested, the problem is a lot of those things just don't seem to be borne out by this new discipline either and so this uh, idea is looking at trauma as being in fact something that can be strengthening, especially when trauma is viewed in context with uh, kind of rosier positive outcomes and the idea is that people can actually be trained to view their traumas in light of more optimistic future outlooks and when they do that they process the trauma in a way that promotes resiliency rather than undermines it so i think it's actually really exciting work it's kind of a new area of psychology and it might sound a little bit like pop psychology because it's so new but this is actually a pretty like heavy academic tome that Seligman put out this is not like evening reading um, it's pretty much a textbook. <laughs> I've considered <laughs> reading it myself because I'm really interested in it, but it's not light reading. So this article is kind of a bit of a more uh, kind of breezy approach to the topic because it's a New York Times opinion piece. But uh, I definitely would recommend giving the original opinion piece a read. And if you're super, super interested, checking out the, uh, the, the actual textbook that Seligman and his co-authors have put out, which is called Homo Prospectus might be a good idea. I haven't read it myself, but I'm actually quite curious too. It's on my Goodreads list.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's something that... Do you when, have anything to add to that, Metrico? Yeah, it's... Uh, when you brought this article to my attention, it's something that I was actually very interested in because I, I've noticed as of late for myself that I sort of put... Uh, whenever I think of like past events that I've encountered, especially... Ones that could be labeled as traumatic or in some way incredibly negative. It's, I realized that I sort of encounter it in a more passive sort of tone. It's less reliving it and it's more contextualizing it. Uh, especially events that happened to me when I was younger, because as an adult, I have a little bit more of an understanding of how the world is, you know, meant to work and where it failed to work as intended. And it it helps me to kind of contextualize a little bit more, but especially when I was in my early 20s, one thing that I sort of recognized was I I was very anxious about past events uh, in my life coming back to kind of bite me in the ass, Uh, things that I went through with my family uh, sort of made me a little bit anxious uh, whenever I would have to encounter somebody else's family. Um, what ended up happening was, um, for me, it was a situation where I would be terrified to meet somebody's family if I were dating them because I would worry, oh, well, they're not going to like me because my parents didn't like me either. And it would just be kind of this really sort of anxiety inducing point. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that, I think that I'm cool. I think that I'm awesome. And if I keep that outlook when it comes to the way that I think other people are going to, to sort of see me, especially significant others' families, it tends to give me sort of a confidence boost as opposed to walking in in a defeatist sort of position. Again, we, when we talk about uh, catastrophizing and fortune-telling, this is kind of a case study of it. Uh, so I, I really like this study. I really like what uh, Selgeman uh, and his co-authors, Realton, Baumeister, and Shripada, uh have to say. And it's something that I'm going to check out as well. Again, it's it's really dense work, but it's something that I think is really, really interesting and important for us to learn about. So uh, anyhow, I think we're going to go ahead and move on to, to our main topic. Um, sorry if the...
1: Yeah, we apparently had some audio glitch there where I wasn't getting Metrica's audio for a bit. So if I talked over you, Metrica, I apologize.
0: It's fine. I mean, I'm used to it. Not really. I say it with (laughs) love. But we wanted Uh, to... This week, we actually have a a fun topic. This was something that's been asked of us uh, since we kind of had our BDSM month a while back. And we spoke about the idea of BDSM lifestyling. And people kind of weren't really sure what we meant by that. And so we wanted to have an entire episode dedicated to lifestyling.
1: Yeah, we're kind of going to put a furry spin on it because, well, fuck it, we're a furry podcast. Um, But yeah, the idea is basically, you know, when you're taking a a kink or uh, a, you know, fandom participation or BDSM participation to kind of another level than someone who is just kind of a more casual player or who just, you know maybe dabbles in something it's kind of just you know taking it to that next level and not everyone needs to do that not everyone needs to do that to be happy it's certainly not something we're saying is kind of like the end goal or like the final evolution of a furry as a furry lifestyler (laughs) that is far from the case Uh, i think as furry podcasters uh, metrico and i are pretty far down the rabbit hole of lifestyling furry i also have like I also have like six furry boyfriends and I mean, my life is pretty damn furry, unfortunately or fortunately, depending upon your per, uh, your perspective there. So I think I myself am pretty much a furry lifestyler. I know a lot of other kind of more prominent uh, furries might be considered lifestylers as well because, you know, people who basically live in their fursuit suit and are constantly taking photo shoots and, you know, that kind of thing. So there are a lot, there's lots of different ways to skin this cat. I should probably keep stop using free metaphors here because it's going to get mm. kind of wet. But uh, but is going to kill me from uh, across the ocean. But basically, yep. uh, lifestyling is, is kind of a, a different ball of wax. And you know, when it comes to BDSM lifestyling, it can be very controversial because you know it might involve something like living in a cage or sleeping in a cage or you know, never. You know, choosing your own clothing, letting your your dominant choose your clothing for you every day, or a whole variety of things. But lifestyleing, you know, furry doesn't necessarily need to be that extreme or hardcore. It can just mean that you know maybe the way that you decorate your apartment is furry. Maybe the way that you decorate your car is furry. Maybe maybe you like wearing a tail out and about on town. You know, I mean, some people do that sort of thing, and I don't want to shame anyone for doing that. It might may or may not be appropriate depending upon your locale and you know, the way that you want to be perceived. But, you know, there's lots of different ways to lifestyle. So please don't take anything we say as orthodox or the way it has to be if you're a true furry lifestyler, because that's not the case. We're just hoping to give a little bit of an overview of what lifestyling furry is, and also what lifestyling a kink or a fetish might be. And mm-hmm. we're going to kind of take it from there.
0: Yeah, so you you just mentioned kink and fetish, and that's actually an important sort of distinction that I want to make right off the bat. Uh, a lot of people when they talk about the fandom, it's it's referred to as a kink, it's a furry kink, it's a furry fetish. Um, but but as we we've, we've spoken about in the past, there is a distinct difference between a kink and a fetish, and even and also
1: furry doesn't necessarily have to be sexual or a kink or a fetish. Some, for some people, it is one of those two things. For some people, it isn't at all. So again, your mileage may vary.
0: Right, exactly. For a lot of people, it's it's a casual pastime that isn't sexual at all in nature. But for people who do kind of engage into the sexual aspects, it is important to, again, clarify the difference between a kink and a fetish. So a kink is something that you enjoy, something you like, something that you dabble in. Uh, some people, they're like i enjoy using handcuffs in bed it sometimes heightens the mood congratulations you're kinky if you say i can't get off unless i'm handcuffed congratulations you have a fetish if you live your life in handcuffs congratulations you're a lifestyler
1: (laughs) that's pretty Uh, much where yeah that's that's kind of the continuum right
0: yeah and within the fandom it's kind of the same if you sort of enjoy looking at furry porn, congratulations, you're kind of kinky. If you really need to visualize, you know, somebody in a fucking somebody in a fursuit, some furry art that you've gotten done, congratulations, it sounds like you have more of a fetish. And if that goes beyond the bedroom, and for some people, the definition of a furry lifestyler is you you, you mostly engage in furry events, like conventions are your vacations. All of your friends are within the fandom. You date people exclusively within the fandom. You have a Stop podcast.
1: Yeah, seriously. It's like, <laughs> we're talking about ourselves at this point. It's getting embarrassing. Um, yeah. <laughs> we ha- we may have a problem. But, right. you know, there's, I think, you know, one other special category of lifestylers and It's kind of, uh, I think, the one step up from lifestyling, and that's when you feel like you have a calling. And this kind of applies more to people who feel like a spiritual connection to furry or feel a spiritual connection to um, an animal spirit or something like that. So what we're really talking about here is Therians, Therianthropy, and also other kins. So some people feel a true calling to participate in these things and they feel a spiritual need or feel like they are actually, they have the spirit of an animal or some uh, type of you know creature that makes them feel like they need to participate in this thing on a kind of day-to-day, 24-7 basis. And so mm-hmm. not all furries are Therians and not all Therians are furries. Not all furry lifestyles are Therians and not all Therian lifestylers are furries. But there's a heavy overlap, I think, mm-hmm between Therianthropy and free lifestyling because free lifestyling is a pretty easy way to practice Therianthropy, if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's important to note the distinction there that not all Therians are lifestylers and not all lifestylers are Therians because it's for people that, that have that sort of spiritual uh, calling as, as you coined it. It is important that that distinction is there because I know a lot of people sort of get upset with the idea of it being called a lifestyle. Uh, sort of like when you're, you're homosexual, it's, or it's not something that you can change. It's not some lifestyle that you've chosen. This is something that you identify as. So a lifestyle is something that you come into. Whereas, you know, being gay, being a being other Ken is something that is already inside of you. So it's important that that distinction is there. Um, So, lifestyling, it means different things to different people, as we said. It could be wearing a suit in public, wearing a tail, wearing ears. It could, you know, any number of things. But when the community, when the fandom takes up a a vast percentage of your time and perhaps your own personal identity, you you enter the territory of being a lifestyler. And so, really, the question from there is how do you lifestyle? And This can apply to really any kind of community that has lifestyling elements. Again, we're talking mostly about the fandom, but this is also applicable to things like BDSM, to any other kind of community or fandom. It's kind of ubiquitous information, but we'll we'll be focusing more on, again, the furry fandom. So first thing that you're going to really want to do is you need to find your community or find your tribe, so to speak. Uh, it's important that you find people that you can integrate well with. It's important that you find people that you mesh with because it's the thing about lifestyling is that it is kind of this communal sort of activity. It's not something that you do independently. A lot of the social mores of the uh, lifestyling uh, etiquette within the community itself, they tend to be self-enforced. So, Within the BDSM community, lifestylers have certain creeds, certain policies, you know, keep it safe, keep it sane, keep it consensual, things of that nature that go hand in hand with ethical lifestyling. So it's important that you find a community that sort of enforces the ethical behaviors, but also sort of steeps you into the traditions, so to speak. Um, Within the fandom, uh, the fairy fandom, it's a little bit more interesting because Uh, as i've said before there is no necessary backstory there's no sort of lore Um, with established communities with established fandoms uh, like super hulock uh, there there's an established sort of canon backstory where everybody who likes bbc sherlock sort of understands acd's uh stories, they sort of understand what the BBC is doing. they there's an established storyline that they can then build off of. but within the fairy fandom, we're, we're far more, I would say, liquid in terms of our ability to create because we created it ourselves where there is no sort of storyline that we branch off of. We're unique and we self-create. So it can be a little bit more difficult uh, within the furry fandom and it's It can be a little bit difficult to find the community within the fandom that you best fit in with. But
1: the good news the is thing that... Is, it, I mean, yeah. there's lots of different ways to lifestyle furry mm-hmm. in the fandom. Yeah. I think there's like a furry artist way, there's a furry fursuiter way, there's a podcaster way. Some people fur, kind of like to lifestyle through body art. There's lots of different ways that you can kind of represent your furriness in a way that is distinct and i think that that makes a difference uh because furry isn't as you said is not monolithic there's no Mm -hmm. there's no set of you know there's no unifying body like the pup and handler community tends to have regular meetups where you're interacting with other people who would identify as lifestylers whereas with furry that's not quite the case right
0: Right, so that's it. Yeah.
1: It's kind of it, it's a lot more individualized. I think another way that people tend to lifestyle in furry, at least, is through coming together in very small communities like fur houses, where maybe you're living with other furries, and then you're kind of forming a, a furry commune in a way. Right, those types of situations tend to lend themselves to lifestyling furry pretty readily. So maybe you have a, a fur suitor and a furry artist, and you know a furry musician or a DJ all living together and they just spend a lot of they basically eat breathe, eat sleep and breathe furry because they all have these different ways of interacting with the furry community but they're all doing it in a slightly different way and they're all lifestyling in a different way. I think that is a pretty common way that people come into lifestyleing. Another way that people might do it is by marrying another furry, dating another furry and having kind of just the smallest possible fur house, which is a house of two maybe you move in with another furry and that then means that you are now lifestyling together. I think that's a pretty common experience as well. So the community you find might be an N of two or an N of three or an N of four, but that community might be, you know, all it takes for you to really feel like you are lifestyling furry. And that Mm -hmm. then kind of leads into our next point, I think, which is dating and mating within the community versus outside. Um, and we have a, uh, advice column that I wrote quite a while ago, actually, on dating a jealous non-furry and ways that that can actually kind of be difficult if you are someone who is very deeply steeped in the furry fandom and spends a lot of time engaged in the fandom and its activities. And if you are this type of person, it can actually be really difficult to date outside the fandom. That's actually one of the more common issues that I think furry lifestylers experience is not really being able to date someone who he's outside the fandom, or having lots of friends who are outside the fandom. Because frankly, their day-to-day activities are kind of difficult to understand for anyone who is not a furry themselves. And so this can be difficult unless you're dating someone who is very good at managing both jealousy and envy. Because someone outside the fandom dating a lifestyler is probably going to experience both of those things. First off, there's the jealousy of basically feeling that like they're losing their mate to furry, that furry is almost another boyfriend, that they're, you know, that they are spending so much time on their furry activities that it might not be leaving a whole lot of time for the sort of uh, mundane activities or the normie activities that they'd be able to engage in with their partner. And so that can present an issue. And then there can also be a sense of envy, envy of the time that you spend with your furry friends, envy of the time that you spend doing furry activities, Envy of the time that you spend at meets or or at cons or even just in your fursuit. Perhaps even envy of the time that you spend drawing art. Uh, All of these things can be really difficult if you have a relationship with someone who is not in the fandom and doesn't understand the importance of these activities to you. And so I think for lifestyles in particular, there's a very strong tendency to date and mate within the fandom versus outside of the fandom. Would you agree with that, Metrico?
0: Absolutely. It's for some people, they have no issues dating outside the fandom or dating within the fandom. For them, it's it's kind of trans. You know, it's 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 not that important. But for a lot of people that that consider themselves lifestyleers, it is important that they date somebody that they can relate to. Because again, as you were saying, it's there is the idea that furry as a lifestyle is fairly involved for some people especially if you want to go to conventions meetups things of that nature it's it can be difficult for people who are new to also sort of understand i i would say maybe the culture behind everything because for some people it's um it's something that's really kind of difficult to wrap your head around. Um, furry as a culture itself is just really this this odd sort of mishmash of pieces that we've taken from different communities of things that we've picked up through word of mouth. And because again as there's no canon, most people like to date, Within the within the fandom itself, uh, especially if they identify as a lifestyler because it makes things a little bit easier and a little bit f- uh, far more seamless. But it's important that even when you do date within the fandom, that you maintain appropriate levels of communication and understanding because, just because you're dating somebody within the fandom doesn't mean that they're not going to get jealous if you can go to a con and they can't, or if you have a fursuit and they can't afford one yet, things of that nature. So it's there important could also that you- be an mm-hmm. issue,
1: sorry, yeah. There can also be an issue with people you know, dating lifestylers or dating non-lifestylers as well. That can be a very uh, common source of jealousy or complaint as well. So if you're someone who- you know, is really deeply involved in the fandom. Say you've got a free podcast, or you, uh, you know, you're someone who has a fursuit. Dating someone who doesn't have a fursuit and can't participate in that aspect of things can create another issue. So maybe you're someone who lifestyles fursuiting, and your partner's somebody who lifestyles being a free DJ. That can actually create uh, sources of conflict too. Because even though you're both very deeply involved in the fandom and you have that touchstone in common, you might be deep, still deeply involved in different sets of activities within the fandom. And this is an issue because the fandom is such a broad, big place. It's not like other communities where there's only one true way to be part of the community. Like let's say that you're a pup or a handler right in the pup and handler community that's basically it those are the roles you can have maybe you're an alpha pup or you're you know you, you, you do a bit of both but if you're lifestyling in that community there's really only so many different ways you can do that and there's not this really rich culture that we have in the fandom of people who really express themselves as furry in a myriad of different ways uh, furry is a microcosm of society at large to a degree and all the different ways people have of being creative are represented in the fandom and because of that and because it has such a broad base there's a lot more opportunities for people to lifestyle in vastly different ways and so when you're setting up or looking for your community of of other lifestylers to kind of draw for support or to kind of understand the place that furry has in your life and maybe you know find common ground with other individuals sometimes it can be difficult just because your way of lifestyle might be so vastly different from somebody else's. It doesn't make any one way more valid or less valid. It just means that this might be a little bit less uh, commonality in lifestyling furry than there would be in lifestyling another community. Do you think that's the case, Metrico?
0: I do think that is the case because for people, it, again, it boils down to the idea of relatability and understandability. And when you add different layers and different, uh, parts to a relationship, no matter how complex the base relationship is, if it's monogamous, if it's polyamorous. um, It can be easier to find somebody that fully and wholly relates to you if you date within the fandom. Uh, At least that's the perspective of a lot of people. And it sort of makes things a little bit more interesting, a little bit more fun. I mean, who doesn't want to be dating somebody who's going to go to these events with you and who already is kind of okay with it all? Because... It's There is still this idea that people within the mundane world, as it is, uh, have issues with the fandom itself and would be squicked out, so people feel far more comfortable living within their own skin or perhaps their own fursuit uh, when they date somebody that's part of the fandom itself. So it, it, it has a lot of interplay. It's um, If the relationship goes serious, kind of like what you were talking about it can then be a little bit easier to make long, longer-term decisions. Um, if we get a house together, how do we decorate the house? Do we invite other furries to live with us? Uh, do we have furry art out and about? Do we yeah, tell that, our you know, families?
1: Yeah, exactly. So maintaining a lifestyle living space can actually be a big deal. That can be a huge component, and we kind of touched on it earlier, but fur houses are, I think, a really common way of maintaining a furry lifestyle and kind of falling into lifestyle without maybe even intending to. You might think, oh, I'm just going to take in another roommate. Well, I guess they might as well be furry. But the thing is, if you're a furry and you live exclusively with other furries, suddenly your house is covered in dildos and you don't quite understand how it came to be, right? Like this is a thing that happens and like suddenly Bad Dragon takes over and it's like, well, what do we do when mom comes over? And like these are these are actually kind of a big big deal issues because I know a lot of people who have to go through this pretty strange process of deferring their house um, when they have mundane company over like oh you know, we're having the boss over for dinner or you know mom's coming over for dinner or whatever it might be um, you know if you've got smut on the walls if you've got you know art by blotch like you know huge print like hanging right above your bed if you've got you know pillows that are you know, furry themed, if you've got, you know, plushies all over the place, if you have, like I mentioned earlier, you know, dildos and things outlining your windowsills. I mean, these are all things that might not be appropriate to have around when you're having someone who's not part of our community over, but would be totally fine and people would not bat an eye if you, you know, threw a, a, a fur meat at your place with all that stuff out, right? So it's kind of an issue of... You have to think about, and it's kind of a strange thing to think about. You have to you have to consider what is the purpose of the space that I'm in, who is going to be present in the space, to what extent do I want to be lifestyling? you know, to what extent am I going to have to alter this space if I'm having someone who isn't part of this lifestyle over? And these are issues that you know it's kind of important to work out somewhat in advance or to at least game out with the people you're living with, because you know if somebody else, if someone of your roommates wants to have their parents over or, you know, their non-free boyfriend over or, you know, whoever it might be and there's all this stuff out and about, you know, they might be tempted to put it away, but if it's not theirs, what is the correct protocol in that situation? And frankly, this is something that I think should be discussed a lot more than it is because it's a situation that I think is a real source of stress and conflict for a lot of people because there's, you know, there's a lot of issues of boundaries, you know, don't touch my stuff well, what if I have to touch your stuff? What if I've got somebody coming over? I mean, I don't want to be touching your dildo, but if your dildo is sitting out and my mom's coming over, what am I supposed to do? Right? <laughs> right. So it's, it's kind of important to work these things out in advance because you don't want to get into situations where somebody feels like their boundaries have been violated and somebody else feels like, well, if I don't do this, I'm not going to be able to have the company that I need to be able to have over come over. So that's, that can be a real source of conflict and it's best to, to address in advance.
0: Yeah, it's uh, that's a situation that I've actually run into myself, where um, when I lived in kind of a furry house, uh, my roommates would periodically have their family come over. And that was a part that they, at the time, didn't share with them. And <laughs> it would be a day long of Basically turning my room into a storage warehouse because they wouldn't. Um, I swear to God, the amount of crap that I had hiding in my room was, was ridiculous. Um, first time they didn't even tell me what was going on, and I had to send some like very plaintive texts, like, "Could somebody tell me what the fuck is going on in my bedroom?" Um, <laughs> Because, like, I started, I was like, did I get, like, some mail or something? I wasn't expecting anything, and I opened a few boxes, and I learned a lot more about the kinks of my roommates than I ever really desired at the time. So I'm just like, oh, okay, well then, and had to kind of move on from there. Uh, But it was something that we had to have a very frank discussion about, because... It's for me. I didn't necessarily mind so much. It's um, because I kept most of my things within my bedroom. But it was something that I wasn't necessarily on board with. My my living space being turned into a, a sort of kink warehouse for a little bit, kind of Area Fifty One at the end of a uh, Indiana Jones, you know, Raiders of the you know Lost Ark. Um, <laughs> like, because that's how it felt. Like I walked in and I'm just like, oh god, like. I opened one box. I'm like, that's a lot of dildos. I opened the other box. I'm like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Well then. (laughs) So, I mean, we got to have some fun discussions about it and it was an interesting bonding time, but definitely it would have been far more conducive to have had the conversation ahead of time. Um, So yeah, it's a conversation that's worth having, especially if you're going to live with other people, especially if they're going to invite their family over and, Especially if you, everybody has a stake in what they want to have out. There's definitely a question of taste for some people. You may not necessarily want to have a gaping butthole over the fireplace mantle, but maybe your roommate does. So there is a question of discussion of interior design. It's important well, you know, to have... A
1: if there's a butthole over the mantle in scene one, it has to go off by scene two. Yeah, <laughs> a, isn't that a rule? Isn't that a rule of theater or something like that? Um.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, it is actually. It's it's a Chekhov's butthole.
1: Um. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. There you go. Um, but so that's that's really important to keep in mind. I think you know people have evacuation plans for their houses or their apartments with their roommates that they work out. You know, the here's our meeting spot. Here's how it's going to go. Have a furry evacuation plan, basically, like here's where the dildos are going to go, here's where this is going to go, here's how we, with the art we're going to replace. Like It sounds silly, but you kind of need to have that because sometimes people come over spontaneously, sometimes mom announces she's popping in, you don't really know what's going to happen, and if you don't talk about it in advance, it can be a pretty haphazard, pretty painful experience.
0: <laughs> oh my god, it'll be like the scene in Clue where the police investigator comes in and they have to like figure out what to do with the dead bodies. Like... <laughs>
1: But it's seriously, it's one of the biggest issues that comes up with lifestyle that I've experienced is like, what the fuck do we do with our furry shit when we've got company? Um, yeah. And it, it comes up a lot. So definitely think about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Another thing that can come up is actually if you have uh furry art of the body sort, if you are the type who is really passionate about getting furry tattoos, maybe you have a, uh, a you know, five paw tattoo, or maybe you have some paws right above your hips like as if you're being mounted by a dog or something which can be really hot and fun but like if you're going to a swimsuit party or something with mundane people explaining why you have paw prints above your hip bones might be a little odd um do, you know <laughs> like there, there can be situations where lifestyling stops being so fun because you're exposed to people who just don't get it right um yes so I think gaming those things out in advance, thinking about, you know, just how furry do I want my life to be, or do I want my skin to be, or, you know, whatever it might be. Not saying that those things are bad to do or that you shouldn't do them, but just please think about the consequences of of that and whether or not lifestyling is going to be something you can maintain truly 24-7, or if there might be times where you don't really want to be portraying yourself as quite so furry, or whatever lifestyle it is that you're leading, uh, what, what are the situations where you'd have to kind of go covert with those things?
0: Right. And I would argue that one of those situations might be your job. Uh, it might Absolutely. be... Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's... Now, mind you, I'm, I'm pretty much of the position of I don't care anymore. And... <laughs> I I'm a
1: freelancer, I, so I obviously don't care. But yeah,
0: yeah, like I mean, I do podcast work at my job, and I've spoken about it before. Like my uh, one of my coworkers and I, we talk about all the crazy nonsense that goes on within the fandom, and she's she finds it curiously entertaining. I think is the most gracious way I can put it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for some people though, you may not have necessarily that luxury, or maybe you may not be as comfortable with your level of being out and about. Um, for some people, having a parent find out or a sibling find out is devastating. But if somebody from my job knew, I would have to quit. That, that's something that I've heard for a lot of people say. Um, I've been to some meetups where they've taken place in public locations and somebody from work has been at the same location and it became a very interesting and not quite a sexy game as of Hide the Fox. Um, so it's important that you kind of understand and you, you take some mental positions. Um, the first one is going to be if you're going to be a lifestyler, regardless of whether it's within the furry fandom, whether it's BDSM, things, whatever it is. If you go to social events that happen in public, it is important that you understand you assume a certain amount of liability that you will not remain in the closet anymore. Now, it could be somebody from your parents' church that recognizes you. It could be somebody from your job that recognizes you. But it's important that you understand that the more visible that you are in public, the more visible and higher the risk you are, have of being outed to family, friends, coworkers that you also have. It, it's, That's definitely you know. true. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. So understand that. But um, within the workplace itself you kind of have to sort of decide whether or not you dial back on the behavior. I would recommend you keep it professional. You don't maybe yell out in the middle of like a work meeting, like, Oh, mer, if somebody says something <laughs> questionable, um, like I have,
1: uh, or you can be total free trash and accidentally colon three a coworker, which I've definitely done before. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've definitely had like, wallpaper of my persona, like i mean at a certain point i just stopped caring i'm just like well here it is welcome everybody to my menagerie of go fuck yourself <laughs> I,
1: I i love explaining the colon series. oh no i just really like japanese culture and it's, it's a japanese smiley face which is oh. obviously total bullshit but you know it, it flew at the time so i was proud of that one oh um, man <laughs>
0: i do that all the time still i just stopped caring like i've written an email with that in it once and i was just like well i just made a winky three face at somebody looks like it's <laughs> time for me to find a new job nothing came yeah nothing <laughs>
1: yeah came that's great
0: <laughs> oh no one
1: came I'm, I'm so sorry no one came i wanted to hit the i came button i um, re- but- oh
0: god no no <laughs> you star no <laughs> the counter um, is a thing of the past.
1: <laughs> uh, like I guess we'll let, let it stay in, in an infamous history. Um, but the thing is, there's more to lifestyle that can impact work social balance as well. And I think part of the issue here is actually a matter of just in general, people have you know work play balance issues or, or kind of work life balance. And when you're a lifestyler, sometimes it can be very easy to get carried away with thinking furry is all that matters when there are things like paying bills that matter and things like jobs and family that matter and you know other things that actually can be quite important. So it's really important to not lose track of the fact that no matter how deeply involved in furry you are and how much of a lifestyler you consider yourself to be, at the end of the day, you are still going to have other people and other commitments and other things going on in your life that you need to be able to make time for and put uh, proper attention into. Uh, it's really important, for example, that you don't, you know, neglect your work duties or that you don't skip work in order to do furry events. Just because, well, I'm a furry, and if I don't miss this, this event, I'm just, you know, I'm not doing the, I'm not doing every possible furry thing I could possibly do in my town. Um, that might be the case, but the thing is, you don't have to do everything, and you can't do everything. And sometimes actual life is going to get in the way, no matter how deeply involved and deeply invested in the free community you are. Like, I, there are tons of conventions I would like to go to, but I also have a life and need to be able to make money occasionally. So I have to put some time into doing my freelance business and actually building that business and advertising myself and doing all the things that a freelancer has to do. Because no matter how deeply involved in the fandom I am, I can't possibly do every free activity and every event I'd love to see people who live you know, in other places and go to other foreign conventions and all that kind of stuff, but the thing is there's just not enough time in the day to do all of that and also manage to keep my life functioning, right? So you have to be able to strike that balance. And I think, you know, lifestyling furry presents a whole other layer of challenges because the pressure can be very strong to participate in every single furry activity there is. If you live with three other furries, who are in the know about all the local fur parties and things that might be going on in your area. There's going to be a lot of social pressure and kind of peer pressure to, Hey, aren't you coming to this party? Aren't you doing this thing? Aren't you going to this meet? Aren't you fursuiting at this charity event? And it's like, you know, as much as you'd like to do all those things, you actually have a job and a life to maintain as well. Uh, And so you have to make sure that you're able to strike that balance. And it it can be tough. I don't really think that in the last few years, You know, things like Telegram and and Twitter can make it even easier to know about all the stuff that's going on in your local community through things like broadcast channels and local, you know, furry community uh, Twitter handles and things like that. It can be very, very easy to, to find out about furry events that perhaps you might think you ought to be at, but no matter how many people are there, no matter how deeply involved in lifestyling you are, you can't do everything. And you have to be willing to carve out some part of your life for you know making an income, investing in your family, all those types of things. So just try to strike that balance. I know it can be tough. I don't think I've always done a great job of doing it. Sometimes I've gotten just a little bit too heavily involved in furry, where you know maybe I was doing conventions three weekends back to back to back, and you know yeah. that can be really fun to, to do in short spurts, but. Holy crap! It can be tough to pull off long term. So just be careful that you're not overcommitting yourself or or investing in a furry lifestyle to the detriment of other aspects of your life. Because you know the first thing has to come off sometime, and at the end of the day, everyone everyone kind of goes to sleep alone, right? So you need to be you need to be happy with the person you are when you go to sleep at night, and that mean probably means doing more than just being a furry, right?
0: Yeah, it's important that you. Kind of like what we talk about within relationships, it's important that you maintain your own separate interests from your partners, from your metamores, because that's what gives you a sense of unique individuality. And your relationship with the fandom is equally as important. It's it's not such a good idea to deeply wade into the waters of whatever community it is and let yourself kind of drown in it. Uh, It's important that you have your own secondary interests because not only is it important to maintaining a unique identity, it's also important because you avoid this cult-like mentality. What can sometimes happen with people is you get so deeply involved in a community, in an organization, in a religion, whatever it might be, that if you end that relationship with the fandom, let's say you're like, I'm tired of doing this and I don't want to do it anymore, then you're left with a harrowing question of, well, what am I? What interests do I have? What friends do I have? Where do I go from here? When you have really only one marker for your personality, it can be very difficult to divest yourself from that identity itself. So you want to ensure that you retain your identity within the face of the community itself. Because the second that you, again, sort of wade too deep, you can drown and it's not pretty. So be mindful of that. Trust me. I, it, you you might think right now, oh, I'm going to be part of the community forever and ever and ever. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that as people get older, as people possibly start families, start professional lives, move into their 30s, their 40s, and so on and so forth, they tend to move on because they, they have other things going on in their lives. And it's not to say that you will move on, but historically speaking, a vast majority of people, the longer you get on in life, the more you tend to withdraw into your family structure people who are younger tend to look towards the community the fandom as a means of procuring a family a lot of us come from mostly negative backgrounds and we're looking for some form of understanding some form of acceptance some form of relatability and when you start your own family when you get married when you have a spouse things of that nature you tend to find that within your own life and you have to stop you you end up stopping to look externally because you already have it internal so, keep your own individuality. Uh, participate to your heart's content, but I would recommend that you don't fill your social card with nothing but fandom events, with community events. You know, it, it's good to go to conventions and meetups and things like that, but maintain your responsibilities with your work, maintain your responsibilities to your other friends, to your mundane friends, to. Other commitments and consider maybe once in a while, hey, I don't need to go to this, you know, event, that's fine. I can go to this other one if I want to. Sometimes the choices you make now impact the life that you have later, and it's important that you don't neglect people in pursuit of what what some might consider to be an extreme level of lifestyling where you're at every event and that's kind of all you have to your name. So be wary of that. It's good to lifestyle something you're passionate about. And a lot of people are passionate about the community. People are passionate about the art that they create, the fursuits that they craft, the podcasts they host, whatever it might be. And it's good to have that passion. It is good to have that fuel. It is amazing to have that fire. And that can be something that on that basis, you consider that lifestyling is kind of for you. you yeah, but, I think that's really yeah. important.
1: I think honestly, at the core of lifestyleing for people who are considering that central question of, you know, should I be doing this? Should I be lifestyling? I think that's really the core question is is furry what you're passionate about? Is is do you wake up in the morning thinking, you know, about do I want to, you know, put my fursuit on today, right? If that's the kind of thing you wake up thinking about Lifestyling might be something that that's uh, kind of up your alley. If you know, they're the type of person who really can't get through a day without visiting so furry and fur affinity and uh furry networking. I don't even know how many other furry social networks there are at this point. But the my point is if you're the type of person who's basically all of their bookmarks are furry and that's you know, all their followers are furry on Twitter and they've got furry friends and you know, that really comes from passion. It comes from a passion about this topic, a passion for anthropomorphic characters. You know, a passion for art, a passion for fursuiting. Passion is really the thing that all these things have in common that leads someone to want to spend that much time doing something. And so if you don't have that passion, getting into a situation where you're kind of lifestyling inadvertently can be a bit of a challenge or can actually lead you feeling very unsatisfied. For example, if you're the type of person who isn't very passionate about furry but kind of dabbles in it, and then you find yourself living in a fur house with, you know, really furry roommates who are just, you know, really lifestyleing the, the situation, you might actually feel a bit unwelcome or uncomfortable in that environment, because it might just be a little bit too extra, a little bit too much for you, right? If you don't want to point like this, you think, okay, this is the thing I do on weekends. Why do I have to be looking at all this stuff during the week? You know, I just right. got home from a long, long shift or, I, you know, whatever it is. And now I've got to go home and deal with all this furry crap, you know, sometimes that 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 can be a mismatch if somebody's really not they're a furry maybe they love they love the fandom but their their connection to it is much more sporadic or much more incidental and it's not the constant so if you're the type of person who's passionate and wants that constant then the other the situation might not really be for you
0: yeah exactly Uh, for some other people it's it may not necessarily be appropriate to your life. You might be an artist that is not necessarily furry, but you enjoy drawing for the community because you know that, hey, we'll buy your art. Trust me, if <laughs> we'll buy it, no problem. So you might go to the conventions and the meetups and all of that, but and from for all intents and purposes, it might look like you're lifestyling, but really you're just kind of in it because it pays the bills and that's fine too. You you don't have to to feel obligated to participate in an entirely voluntary fandom. You don't have to, or at least to... not
1: participate on the deep deep level of lifestyle. Yeah,
0: exactly. You don't have to feel that you have to go above and beyond the the call of duty, so to speak. In order to to belong, the beautiful thing about the fandom is that regardless of your level of involvement, the sole requirement is that you involve yourself. And if you are an artist that does the art but doesn't really have the connection, that's fine. If you are a crafter, you make kinky leather gear, you make hoods, you make whatever it might be, but you're not part of the fandom, congratulations, that's fine too. Your involvement is as deep as you allow it to be. For some people, it doesn't need to go that deep. It can be entirely surface level. For some people, you're just here for the porn. and That's fine. Like, welcome aboard. For some people, it's more of an identity. And that's fine, too. The beautiful thing about the fandom is that we can all relate on one singular basis. That is the fact that we have an appreciation of anthropomorphism. Um, this has not always been the case, actually. Um, in researching this topic on my end, it's what I discovered was about 10 years ago, the idea of lifestyling was this entirely cringeworthy thing, because who would like a lifestyle centered around funny animals? And I've realized how far we've come, because I don't hear people talking about, you know, funny cartoons or funny animals that much anymore. Uh, the yeah, term has is kind of isn't it?
1: Yeah, oh my god,
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So
1: man, back in the old furry zine days. Oh, oh
0: man, yeah, one hundred percent. Where Bugs Bunny was like the most relatable thing we had. Like You liked Bugs Bunny, right? <laughs> <laughs> How
1: much did you like Bugs Bunny? Yeah, exactly that. That 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 could be a fun conversation from the back yeah. in the old days, huh? Oh
0: man, like, did you like Bugs Bunny when he was dressed up like a girl? <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I I've had plenty of those conversations in my time, <laughs> so it's important that that you immerse yourself as far as you so desire, and as long as it doesn't interfere with your pre-existing commitments, relationships, your passions. You don't want to sacrifice something you're passionate about on the altar of you know. The fandom, it doesn't make sense. The the cool thing about furry is that you can incorporate most of the crap you're passionate about. If you like making music, congratulations, you can. If you like making paper mache, congratulations. You you can continue to do it, shadowbott, whatever it might be. The beautiful thing Writing, is that... yeah,
1: drawing, anything, really.
0: Yeah, there's room for everybody. So you don't have to view things as mutually exclusive, but, you know... If you're an author, if you're a professional writer, maybe you don't shift all of your writing to fandom-related works. Maybe I I talk about the fact that there are dignity paychecks. Those are the ones that you write about the shit that you're passionate about. And then there are light bill checks where you take whatever the fuck you can because that light bill is due.
1: Indeed, yeah. So, that is the that is the freelancer way of life, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> Trust me, I've written and worked at many, many I, I think I've done more tech support at churches to keep my light bills on than anything. <laughs> and I'm like, you're letting me in here? Ho oh, oh, ho oh, ho, how how far we all have fallen. <laughs> but the same is true of the fandom. You 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 can have a dignified sort of experience and involvement within the fandom, but if by doing so you no longer have the ability to pay your bills, there's an issue. You need to sort out your priorities. And for some people, especially when you're younger, the idea of community and belonging sometimes trumps the idea of responsibility. So it's important that you keep everything sort of in check. It's important that you don't neglect your bills. It's important. You don't neglect your family or your friends. If you have good relationships with them, it's important that you sort of keep everything nice and balanced and you can make the determinations like, Hey, do I tell my family? Hey, do I tell my friends? Hey, you know, how involved do I let, let them get in this aspect of my life? Um, I make the, the call where I don't care if people ask, I don't lie. It's I, Like, I have zero issue with telling people what I do. People ask about the podcast, and I'm like, hey, here's a link. And then they're just like, oh, God. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, now you regret asking me, don't you? Yeah, now you've learned way too much about me, haven't you? Yeah. It's important that you make the understandings and the decisions in your life on how deep of an involvement other people are going to have. But it's important that you don't neglect those people. You aren't trading up. You're not trading in. Your pre existing connections are your pre existing connections, and you need to honor those. Same with your commitment, same with your family, whatever it might be. But, you know, if, you, if you're like me and you came from like having shitty family and shitty friends, then maybe it's not a bad idea. I'm just saying. But, <laughs> <laughs> but ideally, if you come from, you know, happy, mostly. Mostly sane and happy and accepting family, you keep your relationship with them and you decide if you tell them or not, with your existing friends, with your coworkers. You can make those calls, but it's important that you don't neglect them altogether. And that is a consideration you have to make, especially with lifestyling, because with so many conventions, there are bound to be conflicts. So just bear that in mind. Absolutely and you know maybe if you go to like a family reunion and there's a swimming pool maybe not having to explain the awkward tattoos that you have <laughs> might <laughs> might be okay little nephew let me tell you what these tiger stripes are oh god um
1: <laughs> or why there's a t- fluffy tail in your trunk or whatever whatever the situation yeah. might be
0: no, no mom <laughs> yep is the way that you pronounce jeff Oh, poor guys I've seen so many I, I, I was at a meetup and somebody ran into their father we were at a cheesecake factory and his father was out um, like picking up food for like him and his like other sibling and oh that was such an awkward sort of sort of event oh uh, he was wearing ears and had on, like, a yif like Me t-shirt, um, and his father was very confused as to why everybody was making fun of him the second we realized what was going on. We were not sympathetic at all. We were just like, you brought this on yourself. Like, come on, dude. Um, luckily, his dad handled it well and actually ended up hanging out with us at a later event because he thought we were funny. Um, he was mostly into it because we gave a sunshine, and that's something that he always enjoyed, apparently. So, your mileage might vary, but understand that when you lifestyle, it can cause those sorts of difficulties, like I was talking about earlier. And you want to identify them and you want to kind of come up with those action plans, like Vero was saying. Because the second that yeah, you sure. go, in, you go into something without an action plan, without like, oh crap, like we're at DEFCON two, mom is coming over in ten minutes, <laughs> and we got a bad dragon mounted to the map. <laughs> like we gotta figure this out now. Get the screwdrivers. Oh no! So it's important to have those plans. It's important to have those those understandings and, and work them a- into kind of a seamless pattern rehearse what you might tell people if they ask questions and kind of understand that the beautiful thing about lifestyling is it's a choice that you have total agency in and you have agency in who you involve in that lifestyle and who you let in and inform about that lifestyle. So just kind of bear that in mind and hold that as kind of this, this torch of pride that you can have. This is your choice. This is your life. And you get to let people in or shut the door on them So make sure that you don't abandon your past. Don't forget who you were before you, you know, nobody cared about you before you put on the fursuit. Like, make sure that's not who you are. Make sure that you maintain your current connections, your current commitments. You keep everything moving. You keep everybody happy. But most importantly, you stay true to yourself. I think we're going to go ahead and end it there for the week. Well, we do have a question to get to. Oh, yes, we do. We have a question that was... Sent. Well, I mean, yeah, it's... it's I, and the main n- topic, at least. Yeah, you know. Sigh. We have a lot more, but we're going to end the main topic there. How about that? How about that? That sounds good. So we have a question. Um, the questionnaire wrote to us anonymously, and they ask, Hello there. I'm a 19-year-old asexual fairy fox, and I think I'm going to be alone forever. I've never had a girlfriend in my whole life. I've had friends who are girls, but never a girlfriend. They just don't seem to be interested. I'm starting to feel like I'll never get a girlfriend or a wife. And I think I'm the weirdest fur in the world. I have weird fetishes, yet I'm asexual, and I'm very shy and submissive. Will I always be alone?
1: Well, I think the short answer to that is we have no idea. Because we don't have a crystal ball, and we talked about at the top of the show that trying to predict the future is uh, not exactly something humans are very good at, especially if they have any kind of anxiety or depression or anything else going on. So I would say we can't really tell you, but what I will tell you is I don't think, I mean, I think there are things you can do that might make you feel a lot more comfortable with your sexuality on your asexuality. Well, you know, you say that you're asexual, but you also have, kinks and you you want to have relationships and you know you you, so it's kind of unclear i mean i think a the fact that you're kinky and you you're something you have some sexual interests but perhaps you're asexual in terms of you know vanilla sex uh that might be the case right so these things can make it really challenging as you say to kind of date and mate either in the fandom or otherwise and you, know, you have another complication of being shy and submissive while also apparently being interested in girls. So you know, finding a dominant girl who's interested in the same kinks as you can be a tall order, especially if you don't have a lot of confidence, don't, don't exactly know what you like and don't like, and you know, you're really concerned about trying to meet the right person, but you also aren't sure if there's going to be a compatibility issue. It can, it can be a really stressful and challenging time. So I'm going to make a pretty controversial suggestion and this may not be legal in your locality, but you might want to visit a locality where it is legal because that is something that you can do. But I think hiring a sex worker could actually be a really beneficial thing for you. And the reason I'm suggesting that is it sounds like you have a lot of anxiety over your kinks and their their acceptability. You're maybe able to have a little bit of internalized shame over your interests you're not really sure what your asexuality and, and maybe where, where exactly that takes you. So but the cool thing about sex workers is once you pay them, their job is essentially to make your dreams come true for the time that you've paid them. Right? Um, if you're paying somebody to dominate you, if you're paying a pro dom female to dominate you, that might be a really great way to ex- experiment with these kind of uh, more risque kinks that you have. And also, there might be a way to find a dominant female. There are uh, female pro-doms out there who'll be more than happy to tie you up and flog you or do whatever. I mean, I have no idea what your kinks actually are, but I mean, there's lots of things that these people will be willing to do for you as long as you're paying them. And that doesn't mean that you have to stick with hiring sex workers for your entire life and never form an organic relationship. But what it might mean is that you start there just to build some confidence, you know, and that can be really beneficial. So I think honestly, you know, a lot of people who hire sex workers and in, in who do so when they're younger tend to do so because they want not not because they you know, really need to hire somebody in order to find sex, but instead they do it because hiring a sex worker takes all the pressure and stress off. They know that they're not there to perform that the performance is happening on the part of the person they've hired. And that if they underperform or if things don't go quite right or if they're premature or if they don't like it, it's not that big of a deal because essentially it's just a professional relationship. It's not an actual relationship where emotions are at stake. And so doing that it can be a great preparation for then getting out on the market to actually find the person you're going to end up with. And you'd be surprised at how much just having that confidence turns your outlook on relationships around. People are actually quite sensitive to cues, verbal and nonverbal cues. And if you're someone who doesn't feel very confident in their sexual prowess, doesn't feel very confident in dating, that can come across very plainly, and it can make you seem even less desirable than you otherwise would be. So you might not be realizing that you're putting out those signals, but your lack of confidence can actually be a pretty strong turnoff for, for people. And so to fix that problem, you can kind of develop that confidence through, you know, again, hiring a professional and that can, and that can really be a positive thing for people.
0: You know, for me, what I sort of, I'll agree. I do think that sex workers have that kind of a role and can serve that kind of a position within somebody's life. And I think that's good advice. I mean, I might be a little bit biased, but I think that it can be incredibly beneficial for people who suffer from the anxiety that losing your virginity can sometimes have. Um, You're not necessarily looking for love, you're looking for experience. And I have no problems with that. If that's something that you think can help sort yourself out and help you make some decisions, then go for it, because you know that you're basically going to get treated right. Again, make sure of the legality within your jurisdiction and, you know, go about it in a safe and sane and, you know, consensual sort of way. That being said, I do agree with what you uh, said towards the end, Vero, and I think this one will be a little bit more important. This portion is working on your own self-confidence, working on yourself, it's it's easy to fortune tell and say, I haven't had a girlfriend in the past 19 years, and if it was going to happen, then it would have already happened. And the fact that it hasn't happened means that I'm undesirable. That, that's not really the way that it works. When you fortune tell, especially when you have that anxiety, it can become very difficult to sort of un- have the understanding that just because things are kind of shitty right now things are lonely right now you're, you're not finding somebody that is compatible with what you're looking for doesn't mean that's always going to be the case i know and i have plenty of friends who I identify on the asexual spectrum uh asexuality gray sexuality and they worried that they wouldn't find somebody that kind of shared their interests and lo and behold, they found somebody and it's a wonderful relationship and it's fulfilling for everybody. Just because you're asexual doesn't mean that you won't find somebody that you're compatible with. Just because you are a straight submissive male doesn't mean that you'll find somebody that you won't find somebody that you're compatible with. Just because you have many different parts to the person that makes up the you that is you does not mean that you won't find somebody that compliments you. But what's important is that you work on yourself first. It sounds to me just based off of the question that you are slightly less than self-assured and that can put off vibes regardless of your gender, regardless of your sexuality, that are incredibly off-putting. So you want to work on that and you want to ensure that you're putting the best you forward. And it's not always going to sort of result in a success if you compare it to plenty of fish in the sea. You're going to cast your line out hundreds of times, perhaps, and maybe only get one little nibble. That's fine. That's life. That's the way it works. You're not looking for, you know, just another fish in the sea. You're looking for somebody that completes you. That's the goal, essentially, of relationships and dating. You're looking for somebody that has a complementary personality and lifestyle to that of your own. So it's important that you take time, and it's important that you're patient, and it's important that you continue to work on yourself. You don't just give up. Work on yourself. Work on self-improvement. Work on your passions. Work on things that you're interested in. Oftentimes, you'll find that relationships tend to start in the weirdest of places, I mean, I've been playing D&D, and that's not entirely a super sexy sort of environment, let's be honest, for a second. And I found somebody to date there, and it was something I wasn't even looking for. It was somebody that I just happened to meet, and we ended up getting along great. Things like this take time, and they take self-improvement. Hire a hooker. Hire a sex worker if it's something that you feel you would need in order to get over your first-time jitters, to sort of figure out your own sexual prowess, to work on your social cues, to have basically a mentor in sex. Hire yourself a sex mentor. But also work on yourself outside of sex. People aren't going to come to you strictly for sex. You're not a sex worker. People are going to be attracted to you for who you are the sex is going to be important for some perhaps but it's not going to be essential. That's a car alarm.
1: Very nice car alarm timing there.
0: Ah, oh, it's wonderful. That's actually the alarm that we need to move on from the question and wrap up the show. So, thank you thank you for your question. Oh my god. See, okay, so real talk for a second because this is this is me being genuine for a second this happens all too often there are people that will just kind of roam in the streets they they, they'll they just cross the street at whatever part and they'll walk by cars and they'll just decide that they can just hip check the car for whatever god knows whatever reason uh people are really bad here in new york city about that um also it happens when people are parallel parking and they end up nudging cars so that's kind of you know something that i'm used to at this point uh and for whatever reason, people just decide to let their car alarms go off without ever turning them off. I don't understand why people have car alarms in New York City because they don't change a fucking thing. If people, yeah, I know go- what's that going to do. Like, dude, like you're you're on the 20th floor of your apartment. Like, oh, your car alarm's going off. You're not going to fucking hear it. You're 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 on the fourth floor of your apartment. You're not going to be able to do shit in time. If it was really that important, you would have uh, anywho, anywho. Car alarms don't change shit. They're not a deterrent. As people think, because they go off all the goddamn time. People are like, oh, look at that. They said, there's a dude here that lives on my street that sets off their car alarm every time they start their car. They are the owner of the car. They have yet Ugh. to figure out how to not start their car without fucking setting off the car alarm. Anywho, my point there is this New York City is awful. Please don't move here. We're going to move on Pretty to much. The-, <laughs> <into> <laughs> the show, though. So thank you again for your question. Questioner, I hope that we were able to offer a little bit of advice, a little bit of insight. With. A couple perspectives at least, yeah. Yeah, and hopefully you're able to kind of stop despairing, you know. It, it's, it's, it's life is kind of shitty from time to time, but sometimes times that are bad and times that are anxiety-inducing are just times that are bad, and it sounds like you're kind of in one of those points right now, but it isn't, and it doesn't always have to be like that, so... Just keep improving on yourself, and I promise you, it works. Like that. That. That's. That's. It's weird how that works, but it does. So we got a. We got a question actually today. Um, that was very timely, and the question was uh, essentially: I'm surprised you guys don't have a show on conventions because I'm interested in starting to go to conventions, but. You guys haven't put out any kind of a resource. Well, here's the funny thing. We were actually planning to do that next week. We have two weeks of convention guides, planning, all of that good stuff on how to... Yeah,
1: we're kind of saving it for the run-up to MFF. We kind of thought we'd put up, put together a few con episodes. So, yeah, we've got picking and budgeting for your first con coming up next week.
0: Yep. So, to the person who asked the question, good news. You got two weeks to look forward to. So... um very timely question but that's going to be next week um if you have questions about conventions how to choose conventions how to budget for them how to behave at a convention like what what are what is the etiquette behind content convention attendance all of that send us a question send us some feedback send us some love fairlatraction.com slash contact so many ways to get into touch with us anonymous you can let us know who you are Call us, beep us, however you want to reach us. We are here to take your questions. If you're interested in supporting the show, you can also find out how you can leave a rating and review on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store on that page. Or if you are so inclined, you can subscribe to our Patreon. Now, we have different tiers on our Patreon, um, all of which, for the record, we have a Discord now. I finally set that up at massive community response so if you're a patreon subscriber of ours congratulations you get a little tag on the discord it doesn't really add anything your name just shows up as orange and that's pretty cool we do have other tiers though that are a little bit more substantive from hanging out with us at a convention you can compel us with the power of cash (laughs) to hang out with you the power of cash compels us or you can get a shout out at the end of the show. And we do that more than happily because it's truly due to your donations that we're able to continue doing the show. Vero, you are currently located where?
1: I'm in Oslo.
0: You are in Norway. Vero is in Norway. Yes. He is an ocean, two oceans at this point, really, <laughs> between us. Uh, And your contributions, your donations, your subscriptions help us to ensure that this show goes off with as little of a hitch as possible on a weekly basis. And we truly do thank you for that. So on to the shout outs. Um, Miss Hyde, on the 10th of August, so almost two months ago now, participated in a streak for tigers around the London Zoo. Now, she ran a a fundraising page at JustGiving.com to help support the protection of tigers in the wild. And in exchange, she ran around the zoo naked. If you're interested in learning more, seeing pictures, and giving money after the event to a very, very good cause, please visit her Twitter at HannahCondaSparks or her fundraising page. Details on both of those on our show notes page. Perhaps you're looking for some art, you're interested in getting into lifestyling, and you need some art. Snares is an artist who has a one-stop shop Patreon for comics that he does, page updates, commission, artist information, patreon.com forward slash snares. Amazing art, definitely check it out. Or maybe you have a bookshelf that's a little barren and you... Kind of need a little bit of literature. Well, Sir Paulus has your back. Sir Paulus is an author who published a short novel with the Thurston Hall Press titled The Pride of Parahumans. You can check it out on Amazon or read the review recently posted on the Dogpatch Press. If you're interested in sci-fi, anthropomorphism, and high-tech, you know, sort of space stories, things like Starcraft, maybe a little bit of Warcraft too, if you're interested in that, you can definitely give him a check out. You can also subscribe to his Patreon at patreon.com slash Or maybe you're looking for a new friend on Twitter. Kind of lonely. You want some red panda dog rambles and pictures. Well, Myron the Fluffy is there to help you out. Feel free to become his friend on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at Myron the Fluffy. We're going to go ahead and actually end the episode there. (laughs) Um... Next week again, we're talking about convention, planning, picking, and budgeting for your first con. Again, give us your questions. We're more than happy to answer them on this topic. Until next week, though, I'm Metrico.
1: And I'm Fear of the Science Collie.
0: Be well. the people that have been the bottom, 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 the, 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 the